Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelly Pash, Manager of Rural Entrepreneurship for Network Kansas. I have been in ecosystem building, entrepreneurship, economic development arena for 14 years. I'm pretty sure my guest has me beat on the amount of years we're talking about. So Don Mackey, welcome back. It's always a pleasure to introduce you. Hi, Shelly. And one of the days we're going to turn the table and I will interview you because you're way too humble. You've done remarkable and are doing remarkable work. And so someday you're going to be my guest on this ah. podcast. Oh, my God. That would put so much. Uh, I'd be like, oh, my God, <laughs> the, the nerve wracking. <laughs> so let me tell our guests who you are. Dawn is with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, hosted by none other than Network Kansas. Dawn's worked in the field of community economic development throughout North America for more than 40 years, has that deepening focus on entrepreneur-led economic development. So again, welcome, greetings, and hello. Yes, good afternoon. (laughs) We've made it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I'm pretty excited about this. We're doing a series that's focusing on rural entrepreneurial ecosystem and community readiness to organizing for action. That's a lot. That's a mouthful right there. So I know this is going to go into a little bit more, so we want to make sure that we, we get things covered. So Don, over the past 25 years, E2 has developed its E2 development framework. So why don't you give our listeners an overview of the framework and its genesis, if you would? You bet. So throughout that period of time, we've been out working with communities, learning from communities, and then based on that learning, going back out to other communities to uh, test and refine and develop this framework. And that's what it is. It's a framework. It's not a step process, but it's a way in which a community that says, I want to foster entrepreneurship as a means to grow a, a better economy, a more prosperous community can do it. And so... This past year, we updated our framework based on our latest round of field work that we had done across the country. And it's really organized around five basic sets of resources. The two topics we're going to talk about today, readiness for entrepreneurship and organizing for action. We think that's really important. So communities have the wherewithal to really succeed with this. Assessments to strategy which I think we'll talk about in one of the future episodes, how to work, you know, the art and science of working with entrepreneurs. And then finally, the all-important topic of metrics, stories, and sustainability. And Shelley, I'd note two other things. One is this E2 development framework really nests within a much larger ecosystem building process we call prosperity community framework that addresses quality of life, placemaking, people attraction, and then entrepreneurship as a economic development strategy. So that kind of gives our listeners a bit of an overview. And, and we do have, and we'll make this available, a paper that kind of summarizes just what we're talking about today. Cool. We always love that stuff. 
yeah. more information. That's where I'm like, I just keep getting more. I have to prepare for these calls because there's just so much information. So I'll reiterate our part one of our three-part series focusing on rural community entrepreneurial ecosystem building. We're spending some time with community readiness for entrepreneurship. So what are the keys when a community is considering pursuing entrepreneurial development? I mean, obviously there's there's people, opportunity, background, whatever. So what are the keys? Well, actually some of our deepest learning was with Network Kansas. Hey. Yeah, with Network Kansas. <laughs> hey, I know those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when Network Kansas first launched its e-communities, there was a struggle. Communities were anxious to join because of the ability to access capital for financing businesses. But what happened is some of those communities, too many of those communities, I think in Eric Peterson and Steve Radley's mind, didn't stay with the e-community initiative because they weren't ready. And so one of the things we learned from Eric and the team at that time was they really began to make a deeper commitment to community readiness, having those conversations with community leaders. And of course, you've been part of these. I mean, this is part of what you do to really determine readiness. And so I think that's an important lesson. That lesson was applied with our friends up in southeastern Minnesota with the REV initiative, as we're now working with the Ford Family Foundation out in Oregon. They're really committed to community readiness with the idea that readiness is huge. I mean, with rural communities, to start something and fail has a price. And so making sure that the community is ready is huge. And so some of the considerations are, is this the right time? What else is going on in the community? So is there the bandwidth among the leadership that's in the community to really take this on? And then this is a technical term, the right stuff. And and I, <laughs> I guess I know that. Yeah. And <laughs> I the stars aligned for <laughs> yeah. sure. And that really speaks to the capacity of the community. And are they serious to really say, we're gonna make the commitments and the investments necessary to succeed. And central to that is, are there champions and stakeholder groups in the community that really do believe that this is important to do and they're willing to give it their absolute best to make it work? Right. I agree. So we actually, having the Main Street background as well, and then ecosystem building and everything that goes along with it, you're right. I mean, it comes down to And I think I shared with you before that E.F. Schumacher, his book, Small is Beautiful, he stated, you know, above all in economic development, if people don't wish to be helped, leave them alone. (laughs) And that's true. And I remember finding out the hard way by 18 months into a process of trying to work with a building owner who was really not interested in what our big idea was, right? It's a big pill to swallow, but you have to learn from that and move forward. But you know, it's the going to the Ernesto Soroli's TED Talk. It's shut up and listen. Listen to what the community people have to say. Exactly. And also for them to take the time. And I think that's what Eric learned when they kind of pivoted to a much stronger readiness profile or, you know, approach to this is give that community time to really determine not only is, you know, somebody who's with the chamber excited about this, but is the chamber board excited about it? And are the banks excited about it? And the other core stakeholders that can really make this rock and roll. And so it takes a little bit of time on the front end, but 
As your friend and boss, uh, Steve Radley says, sometimes you got to go slow before you can go fast. And Right. It's that implementational steps. And mm-hmm. it is, it's quite a process. And it it is very interesting to see how, and it's different approaches for everybody. So I work with communities anywhere from 600 people to 165,000 people, you know, and rural is, I guess, relevant to wherever you are, because those are two different rural places <laughs> to certain other larger communities. So when you're speaking on the foundational side, you really do need to have everybody involved, the right stakeholders, and everybody have the same agenda in mind and make sure that there's a commitment for it, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, we could just keep talking and going down that path easily. The next progression in E2 development framework following that readiness is organizing for action. So you mentioned earlier why strong organizing is so foundational to succeeding with entrepreneurship. Share that, and then I'll kind of ask you a follow-up question from Peter Drucker's statement where he feels that planning is kind of incompatible with an entrepreneurial society and economy. So I see both sides of it for sure, but you tell me (laughs) so I can gain all the knowledge from you. Well, let me frame it this way. So if we take a typical rural community of 5,000, as if there is a typical rural community of 5,000, but, but <laughs> let's, let's just go with me. If that was a corporation, chances are it would have somewhere in the middle of a quarter of a billion dollars in annual revenues. That would make it a substantial corporation by U.S. standards. And, you know, that corporation at a minimum would have to reinvest 5 to 10% of that revenue back in its own development. So, you know, you're talking about somewhere between 12 to $20 million a year that goes in. And so a community really needs to think about how can it ultimately marshal enough resources to really make a run using this development framework. And so we come back to the idea that is there sufficient commitment, but also a couple of other things that, that go into organizing. One is this is a team sport. You know, if we kind of compare it to traditional development with business attraction, communities are inherently in competition with each other. But with entrepreneurship, there's an opportunity for development groups, both within a single community, but also multiple communities to come together and to form that entrepreneurial team or the E-team for short. And I think that's really, really important as we think about how you organize, who are the likely stakeholders and collaborators that you want to invite to the table? And of course, with Network Kansas, you have a bit of a formula. You require bankers and entrepreneurs to be part of the E-team because you know that that makes a difference. As we've looked around the country, we've really put more emphasis on organizing After we overcomplicated it and (laughs) failed, that kind of goes to your Drucker comment, (laughs) right? and then came back and said, what are the essentials of organizing? And, And we know that you need some staffing, a coordinator, kind of a lead staff person in the community. And of course, that's in the Network Kansas model. It's also in the Rev model and others around the country. But one of the things we do recommend, and these are not permanent, that Depending on the size of the community, it could be the E-team or they could set up and empower task forces or other working groups to really do three things. I think in our next session, we'll talk about assessment. 
And so one of the critical design elements within our framework is we have to take time to begin to discover what is our entrepreneurial talent. And we need to begin to discover what kinds of entrepreneurial resources that might be relevant to that talent. And then at some point, hopefully sooner as opposed to later, we need to engage in outreach, visitation, and surveying those entrepreneurs. That point you made earlier, we've got to listen to them to find out what they need. And that'll really inform what we need to be doing in terms of building out our ecosystem. And so within the organizing model that we have, there are these temporary groups that kind of get things launched and get going. Another learning that we picked up is having a framework, whether it's the E2 development framework or the Network Kansas, although, gosh, I think we're first cousins. Our two (laughs) systems are so, you know, we've been informing each other for so long that they have a lot of similarities. But there are other frameworks out there. Tom Lyons' Entrepreneurial League system, to name one. Zeroli's system, to name another one, since you had brought up Ernesto. But having a framework is really useful because the last thing you want the community to do is have to figure this all out. Now, they don't want to be told what to do, but the framework allows them some guidance, but then the ability to really customize it to their unique opportunities and preferences. And that's where we, as coaches across the state of Kansas, we kind of work with them. We come alongside them because we're very hopeful that their economic development people, their chamber people, their main streets, however they're going about this commitment, that they're actually already doing these things, right? So we can actually say, hey, what's working here might work there. So we can, again, listen to what the local people are saying, you know, because I'm not in the 18 communities that I oversee, but I can get it. I've grown up rural. I've lived in the large communities as well in different states. So we can see that, but you have to really have, one, you have to have the passion yourself. You have to gain the trust of the people that are there. And that's that social infrastructure that that we kind of talk about and being intentional, having those intentional focused ventures that work And the people, the stakeholders, like you said, at the table. And sometimes, even though we would heavily suggest, like, you should certainly have entrepreneurs on your E-team, whether it's your leadership team or your financial review board or bankers or something like that. I've come across some areas that they're like, we don't have very entrepreneurially minded bankers. So they don't necessarily tap into that resource, but that's because that's what works in their community. So it's never a hard, heavy handed, I guess, weighted down where we're trying to do that top down. We just have to come alongside them because you're right. We just have to make sure that that everybody's doing what's best for their community and to work forward. And then their planning, we just have to, best practices work greatly and are so welcomed. And having a guide is helpful. I remember when I started in this world, I was going to all these people going, I have no idea what I'm doing. So it was really nice to actually have some sort of leadership and some guidance along that way. Absolutely. And that's what a framework does is it, particularly if that framework's rooted in field-tested practice, because it's not abstract, it's not theoretical, it's what communities have learned through success and failure. And so- Let me tell you how great I worked on this, and then this didn't work, so don't do that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly. And, and people look at it and go, okay, this is reasonable, this makes sense. And that's where we're at with the E2 framework. That's cool. Yeah. So I got a good one for you. Yeah. So 
and I have I have not personally come across this, but I have heard through other people that I work with, other colleagues, where there's some community leaders that sometimes ask, so how long does this take? How long is this economic development? Are we done yet? <laughs> you know, so how long do the steps of the readiness and the organizing take? And we realize being in this world that ecosystem building and economic development is never done. So you've got your systems and institutions. Eventually they, you know, outlive themselves, but as do services and products. And so anyway, how do you, (laughs) how do you go about some, maybe share some insights on the likely pacing with E2 development framework? Well, we have a lot of experience with this. And so we've (laughs) got- Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) But I mean, it's the hard knocks, which gives you the confidence that you're giving sound advice. I mean, to your point, the first piece of advice is that community economic development is a 24-7, 365 forever commitment. In the United States, compared to other tour economies around the world, the community is the primary party responsible for its own development and prosperity, not the federal government, not state government, not some regional development organization. They're all there to help. But at the end of the day, each and every community has to do this. We found that pacing is really important. What we've learned is if you try to move this too fast, it likely will come up short. And if it takes too long to get organized before you actually begin creating economic development impacts, working with entrepreneurs that are making investments, hiring people, developing new products and services, it's likely to fail too. I mean, because the community only has so much patience in investing in this if it takes too long. And so kind of like, you know, the three bears, we're looking for that sweet spot. And we think the most desirable pacing is once you've determined readiness and, you know, if you're a runner, you know, you may spend a whole year preparing yourself to be ready to run that half marathon, let alone a full marathon. But once you've made that decision that you are ready, we want to see the following things happen within a year. In the first three months, we want to make sure that they get organized. They get through those critical assessments of e-talent, e-resources, begin to do serious outreach visitation and surveying engaging their go-to entrepreneurial resources. Maybe that's a small business development center, their own gap financing fund, other resources that might be in their area that they can really draw upon. So, you know, if you start in January by July, we really want to see that community actively working with a cohort of entrepreneurs and treating them as customers or clients, taking the time to listen to them, figure out what they need, and then really become a valuable resource in networking them to the right solution at the right cost at the right time. And so what that means is by July, you want to be into that activity. And that's important because then it means you've got six months to actually demonstrate some impacts. Now, you're not going to change the world in that community. You're not going to transform it in a year. But in those next six months where you get better and better at reaching out to entrepreneurs, networking them to resources, helping them get better at being entrepreneurs, you're going to begin to generate some testimonials about how 
the system has helped them. Maybe even some stories where they've made that decision to do that facade improvement or develop that new product or to hire two or three employees or what have you. And that becomes really important because then as the folks who put up local money and made commitments to be involved in this kind of take stock of where they're at towards the end of the year, you know, which occurs sometime around the holidays, they're going to look back and say, okay, this is actually creating economic development. And what we find is with that kind of year-long pacing, if they can do that and hit those benchmarks, the odds that the community will continue with the strategy go up dramatically, but in many cases, they'll then deepen their investments and commitments so that they actually have more capacity to work with more entrepreneurs as they go into year two. And so that's our optimal pacing. Not every community can reach it, but we know that if it takes them a year just to get organized, some of those funders in the community may decide to say, you know, this is just a lot of busy work and they'll pull out. They'll pull out. There are some also, Shelley, there's some accelerators, some things that we think really can help a community get through that pacing more quickly. In some of the newer initiatives that we're advising, we're really recommending that as part of their initial commitment, in addition to that host organization, the E-team, the coordinator, that they should think about at least investing part-time in some kind of an e-coach. Not necessarily somebody who does business counseling, but who can actually serve as that networker. And so if we think about what's going on in Hutchinson right now, you know, with Jackson, he was hired a year ago through an initiative with the foundation and the city and the chamber and the county board where, you know, his job is to go out and talk to entrepreneurs, find out what they need and network them to resources. And it'll be his full-time job to do that. We think that's a real accelerator. And so we're now kind of putting that on the table sooner. I think another accelerator is something we've talked about in previous podcasts, and that is focusing on where there's already energy in the community. So if the community is already committed to tourism like Klamath Falls, Oregon is, go with where the energy is. And that can be a great starting point for a community because you already have people committed to it and the framework could help them really energize it and get to greater impact sooner. And I think the third is, again, a lesson from Network Kansas, and that is, From day one, let's figure out how we can bring gap financing and other forms of capital into it with the expectation that we not only want to network these entrepreneurs to, you know, technical assistance like business planning that you might get from a local small business development center, but we want to bring additional capital to fill that bridge between what the entrepreneur can do, what maybe the bank will do, and we know that that really accelerates But it also is a great metric on the backside because you can now measure, like Ord, Nebraska, they've done about 100 deals, about $25 million of deal flow. That's a hard metric that you can really go back and say, okay, we're creating genuine economic development. Of course, Network Kansas has similar metrics about your loans and investments. And so that becomes powerful messaging as as we go down the road. And I'm going to make you go back a little bit on the testimonial side. So I know that's a big thing. And it's sometimes hard to be humble in a community, but it is one of those things that you you have to toot the horn of what's going on. Because oftentimes, 
And I remember this vividly. I can tell you where I was when I had, I had a community member and we had been working on this initiative in this particular community for, I would have to think that it was well over a year. And because I see it and I was doing this on a day-to-day and the volunteers I was working with were doing it on a month to month, but they still had the passion and the commitment in it. And when you're addressed by somebody in the community to say, hey, yeah, what are you doing? I don't see anything. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just like nails on a chalkboard, but to compose yourself and to turn and, and actually be able to give those things that have been going on, whether it's, we're doing facade improvements here, or there's been rehab here, there's investment that's going on. There's this event. We're making sure that the design portion, as long as you can say that and make sure the people that are heavily involved can say those things as well to be able to have those testimonials or to be able to toot the horn or whatever that sounds like. But the storytelling, right? That's the biggest thing is just making sure you're continually telling the same story. And it's a story of progression and a story that works well for anybody. And businesses and communities aren't doing this alone. And the first two pages of Richard Branson's book, right, shows... I think there was somebody that had said, you know, go in and underline how many times that he says I in the first two pages and there's none. And there's like 32 times that he says we, you know, and it's always, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, no, I think the point you're making is hugely important because it allows you to do two things, but we do have to coax these entrepreneurs to share their story because oftentimes they're more than willing to be interviewed, but then when they see the words back in front of them, they're going, oh gosh, this is, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be up on this pedestal. And then you say, uh, part of what you're doing is telling the story to inspire others. Mm-hmm. And the second is you can talk about who helped you, including that community's ecosystem. And oftentimes they have no idea. They're like, nah, my story is nothing. I've heard this time yep. and time again with Jim Carell in Independence, Kansas, with his entrepreneurial mindset class. And he invites entrepreneurs in all the time to tell their story. I don't have anything to say. He started taking notes <laughs> to make sure that they didn't forget a very important part of their story because they don't think it's, they're just like, it's just my story. <laughs> like, no, tell the whole thing. <laughs> well, and, you know, not to belabor it, but I remember in my childhood community of Mullen, Nebraska, we had a forum and on the forum was the local plumber. And man, talk about pulling teeth to get this man to to sit. (laughs) But he did. And two young men came up afterwards and said, you have validated what we want to do. We want to become plumbers. And long story short, one of them ultimately took over that plumbing business. And I think that speaks to the fact that this doesn't have to be exotic, but you know there were two young men in the room who really felt that that's what they wanted to do. That was the career they wanted to pursue. And by listening to this other man as he got to talk about why he loved being a plumber, just validated for them that they were going to go down this road. And then, of course, once they shared that with him. What a great mentorship and what yeah. a great business transition later in that community, your community didn't lose that business. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's the power of it. It is. We just have to get those entrepreneurs to believe it. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess to we can wrap this up because I think we're probably going on about 25, 30 minutes. 
and always a pleasure to have you join us on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. I love our conversations. I know. This is great. So I will let you share with us the many resources that we've tapped on or that you've mentioned that our listeners can learn more about with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. You bet, Shelley. As usual, folks can go to our website, www.energizingentrepreneurs.org. It's free and a lot of resources are there. For those of you that are interested, you can join our National Practitioners Network that accesses all of these resources we were talking about today. Of course, we have our monthly electronic newsletter where you can learn about new information. And then, of course, this Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast, all of these things you can subscribe to through our website. And we will be making a couple of resources available to you, our readiness guide and our organizing guide. Those will be part of the package that when this podcast drops, will be made available to everyone. So again, Shelly, it's been great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I love our conversations. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. <music>